a church out in Southern California called Faith Community. It was a Southern Baptist church, but it was not like any Southern Baptist church you've ever been in. We got called out there, and everything's a little different in California. Praise God. I love California. And we moved out there, and we were excited, and we got plugged in. And I was given a youth group that had been absolutely devastated because the youth minister before me had gotten in a car wreck and was killed. So you can imagine what I was stepping into. The youth group, when he had it, had grown. He was very just a charismatic, really awesome guy. And the youth group had grown, and, and yet when that car wreck happened, it just devastated. You can imagine just the pain and, and the shock and awe. And these kids were not only mad in general, they were mad at God. I mean, after all, how could God do this? Things were going so great. So then they call this country bumpkin from West Texas out to Southern California to take his place. And we, Annette and I step into that, and we stepped into a really awkward situation. And you got to understand, I mean, these kids were devastated. They were broken. Let me tell you what we needed to do or what we needed in us in order to engage and actually turn the ship that, that was headed towards the rocks, so to speak. We needed faith, and we needed a lot of it. And Annette and I went into a season of learning and growth. Now, you've got to understand something. I had come out of a traditional church background, and let me tell you something. It wasn't real exciting in church where I was. I mean, we didn't have Sammy getting excited and calling us and stirring us, and, and Lord knows no one ever raised their hand in my church. If anybody raised their hand, they had a question. It would have stopped the whole service. I mean, I was in some some scenarios where even if you sneezed, it was like it was out of order. You know what I mean? And occasionally, you know, when they did the solo during the offering, you know, when they'd have somebody up to sing for the for the offering, somebody would actually forget themselves and clap a little bit, and it just like, oh my gosh, it was shocking. So that's the environment I'd come out of, much less, much less being open to the movement of God's spirit and any kind of spontaneity that was out the window. So we, we go from that to out to Southern California, where where all of a sudden we're in a church that on a given service, they may bring out a banner that was about 12 or 15 feet long. Remember the banner? And then we would sing songs like his banner over me is love, his banner over me, his banner over you, his banner over us is love, love, love. Let me tell you something. The whole place went berserk and people were standing and and all of a sudden people start grabbing people and they'd start dancing down the aisles. Got to understand where I came from. And and then they would all go under the banner. They go under the banner, his banner over me, his banner over you is love, love. And I remember singing that song, and I remember just, just something began to happen inside of me as, as faith was getting built. Faith was getting challenged. I was getting challenged. My mind was offended, but something in me, my spirit was like, yeah, this is what church should look like. People should be excited about being at church. People, people should be People should understand what Jesus has done for them on the cross, and it should generate something in us that looks a little bit like gratitude. 
It should look like a child who just got a present on Christmas. And my gosh, I mean, the Barbie doll's great, but your whole life for eternity given to you, it's a little better than a Barbie doll. I mean, we should be, every time we come in here, we should be like, oh, wow, I get to be in church. This is amazing. I love this routine I saw on Facebook. This guy says, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. I'm not going to go into that routine, but I'm just he's so right. And this morning, I just want to remind you. Can I say something in love? I'm going to speak the truth. It's going to be in love. Some of you need to let your face know that Jesus has done something really amazing for you. That he shed his blood on a cross for you. And it's okay to go, wow, that is amazing. So we're out in this church, and man, they're dancing in the aisles, and me and Annette are like, oh, what have we gotten ourselves into? So for a long time, Annette and I, we would not budge. You know what I mean? We were, just, we were not going to party like that. I mean, come on, you guys. These crazy charismatics, they're like nuts. And we're dignified. I've got a, I've got a seminary education. Are you kidding? So, so they finally one night, somebody... And I was always hiding out. I was either playing guitar up on the stage so I didn't have to do anything. Or I'd be back in the sound booth hiding out, you know, helping out. Just, again, hiding out. Come on now. And so one night, somebody came and grabbed me. And listen, I don't have moves. I'm sorry. I just don't. I am white to the core. It's scary. Now, I can keep time, but I can't keep time with my body. My heart is all in, but my body is not. And so they were dragging me, and I just thought, I thought, okay, oh, it was so embarrassing. You know, here are 700 people dancing, and, and I'm embarrassed. So I go down, and under the banner we go. His banner over me, here we go. Woohoo! I'm trying to look happy. I'm not. I'm just like, okay, let me get back to my seat. And after a few months of this, actually a couple of years of this, one night we were having a celebration service. They bust the banner out, and I grabbed a net, and she's like, no. She's like, glue. I said, nope, you're going. I'm doing it. You're doing it. And I grabbed her hand, and we ran up to the front. Of course, everybody went nuts because they knew Annette was like Mr. Reserved. And we danced under the banner, we danced under the banner, we went back, and then we wiped the sweat off our foreheads, you know what I mean. And we just had such a sweet time. Let me, God had to begin to break us out of what's comfortable. Because we kept saying we want more faith. We kept saying we want more of God. But at some point, to get more meant there was an inconvenient moment that was going to have to interrupt our lives. We're talking today about an inconvenient faith. The word inconvenient literally means to be uncomfortable. By the very nature of the word, that in order to stretch your faith out, it means to believe in something that you can't always see because we walk by faith and not by sight, which means you may have to get a little uncomfortable to grab hold of something you can't even see. We had to sell our house one time, and, and, and we, a guy had come to us and 
turned to us in a conference and, and said, what do you need? I want to pray for you guys. And we said, we need to sell our house in 30 days. We're moving to Texas to plant a church and we got to sell our house. He goes, you're talking, we're in a, we're in Anaheim Convention Center, thousands and thousands of people. He goes, well, I'm the right guy to pray with you guys. He said, God, and listen to this. God has given me a grace and anointing to pray for people to sell their houses. We're like, really? I didn't know that. I didn't see that in the Bible. Is that in the spiritual gifts list? He's like, no, just ever. He said, he said, a long time ago, my wife and I needed to sell a house. And the Lord instructed me to take some oil and go anoint the corners of the property and pray over the house and just literally walk the perimeter of the property and declare it sold in the name of Jesus. And then just from then on, begin to declare it sold. Now, listen, we needed to sell our house in 30 days in the 90s in Southern California when the market was horribly depressed. And we had had houses. Even my senior pastor had no faith for this. It was like, thank you, pastor. But he, he, he said, your house will never sell. I'm like, thanks. He's about to plant us, you know. Your house will never sell. He said, there's a house on my block that's been sitting for two years. And, and, I, and, and Annette and I said, it will sell in 30 days. I got to preach my last sermon in that church on a Sunday morning. So I got up and I told the church my house was sold. Everybody cheered. I said, in Jesus' name. And it got real quiet. Because we, by faith, had walked out the perimeter of our property and anointed it with oil because we did what he said. And we began to operate in that which was unseen. By the very nature of faith, it is operating in something that is not necessarily seen. So I announced to the church my... You talk about hanging it out there. Sometimes you got to hang it out there when you're in faith, folks. Or it's not really faith, is it? So I said, I said, in the name of Jesus, our house is sold. Everybody, woohoo! I said, in Jesus' name, and it got quiet. I said, no, listen, we believe in Jesus. I had several people come to me and say, we'll pray with you. We'll stand with you. We'll believe. This is about 15 days into it. Let me tell you what happened. I was able to stand up on our last day in that church and say, by the way, got a contract on our house. It's sold in 21 days in a depressed economy. It was a miracle of God. So we come to California. No, we come to Texas from California with 11 high school students who had just graduated, and we're going to plant a church <laughs> with 11 Southern California kids in a small town in Central Texas. Uh, I mean, just it was hysterical. We needed a building, and God gave us a building. We needed people. And God gave us people. We needed instruments. We needed a worship team. We needed money. We needed, and everything seemed to be against us. I mean, we move into our property, our building, which we're so excited about. And then the city comes and shuts us down the day they turned on the plumbing because there were gas leaks all over the building. Cost us over $1,000. What do you do then? You walk by faith and not by sight. We could, by the way, we were living in the church. And we had no money. And we're praying. All we know to do is pray. All we do know to do is seek God. And so we gathered these young people together in the, in the, in the foyer area of the, of the church and then in our living room. And on Sunday nights, we just come together and pray and seek God. Listen, when you don't know what else to do, you should pray. When you know what you should do, you should pray. 
you should go to God in faith. Now, so we, we gathered these students together, and we began to cry out to God. And the first time we got together, there was probably 10 or 15 of us. Second time we got together, there was like 25 of us. Third time we got together, it started growing like crazy because people were hungry for God, and we'd just get out a guitar, and we'd just start singing. Anybody ever heard of Cafe Anderson? Coffey was a part of our group, and, and he was our first on our worship team. We got to see Coffey just last week, actually. And, and we got to, he was a part of that group, and we just began to believe God. And I remember thinking, God, these young people are so excited for Jesus. They have so much faith. And you know what? I even allowed them to carry me sometimes on those days when I didn't have a lot. And we started seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. At this little church, we were in our kitchen in in the church with a bunch of students one day because we had to feed them. I and mean, we, we, we were doing everything we can to make this happen, believing God that he called us to plant a church. And we're there in the kitchen and we are pray, praying and asking. God. We couldn't even take a shower in our own house unless it was a cold shower because we couldn't turn the gas on. The whole place was shut down. And we didn't know how we were going to get $1,000 to pay for this plumbing bill for these guys to come out. And then they had to turn it back on. And a professor from Howard Payne University drives up. He knocks on the door. I go to the door. I'd never seen this man before in my life. And he said, how are you doing? You remember this? He said, how are you doing? He said, he said I heard you're planning a church here. And you got a lot of college students. I said, yes, sir. He said, he said, well, the Lord told me to bring this to you. He handed me a check for $1,000. Never met the man before in my life. Don't tell me God can't provide supernaturally. The Sunday we opened the church. Is it okay if I tell this? The Sunday we opened the church, we had more people on the worship team than we did out in the congregation. You know what I mean? This is this new church, and we were excited and I remember walking in, it was hot, it was during the summer, and I, I remember being nervous about turning the air conditioners on because I knew how much it was going to cost to cool the place. So I went around and I turned on each air conditioner one at a time, and I was like, Lord, God, I don't even know how we're going to pay for the, for the utility bill here. We had nothing. We did have a word from God. And so I just went through and just turned each one on. Every time it came on, it sounded like, a big machine coming on where I was like, Oh, it's just money. Just, I mean, and so we're starting our first service ever. And one of our guys, Randy card comes running down. He's so excited. We, we hadn't started the service. We we're about to start with the worship team was going. We were all excited. We were wondering if anybody would come. And Randy Card comes running out. Hadn't school just started? It was September. It was still hot, but school had just started. Howard Payne was back in session. And he comes running down the aisle, and he has an envelope. And he said, I was getting a Coke in the sub. That's a student union building there at Howard Payne. And a girl came up to me from, she was from Abilene, Texas. And she said, I heard y'all, you guys are starting a church. He said, yeah. She goes, well, the Lord told me to give you what's in my wallet to give to your new church. He had just met, I mean, he's met, he's getting a Coke. And she hands him this, just some cash, and he had no idea. And he looked at it, it was $100 from a college student that he didn't know from Abilene, Texas. We watched over the next three-plus years God do miracle after miracle after miracle. 
And we literally walked by faith and not by sight. And we saw God move. We saw people get set free. One night, just after we had started this, my my doorbell rings at about midnight. That's not fun for a pastor. And I look out the window, and there's a group of college students out there, like huddled around my door. And I said, hey, how's it going? And they're like, we need your help. I said, what's going on? I said, we need your help. I said, okay, what's going on? He said, we've got a guy here who's demon-possessed. I'm like, Annette, you can take this. And I, I did. I was like, I mean, we were brand new. We were just probably had one or two services. And so we, I said, well, let's meet me in the sanctuary, which is just down, down the little hallway. So I, I opened the door, and they had this guy who was just tore up. I mean, he was messed up. He had been, I mean, just demonically. I mean, just they had been trying to pray for him, and they had gotten all Pentecostal, and it wasn't doing any good. How many of y'all know just sheer excitement doesn't do anything? We walk by faith, right? And authority and power, and they didn't understand the dynamic. They just had a lot of zeal, but not a lot of wisdom. And so I'm kind of like peeling students off this poor guy, and I just sit down on the edge of a stage with him, and I just start talking to him about his life, and I find out he's... He's had done some things that opened some doors for the enemy to come in and just really get a stronghold in his life. And I spent about 30 minutes talking to him, and my faith was strong, and I prayed with him. And that that young man got delivered and saved that night, and later we baptized him. I recently had someone who knew us, and I didn't even know she was there that night, Facebook me and say, I remember that night you cast the devil out of that guy we brought to your door. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you were one of those? It was recently. I'm telling you these stories because I want you to understand something. That what we do as children of God and what we do as a church family and what you do as an individual in Christ is not always pretty. It's not always neat and tidy. Oh, I wish it was because I'm a neat and tidy person. But you know what? Most everything I've ever explored in the kingdom of God has had an element of disorder to it in my eyes, but not in God's. I want to show you something out of the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 38. Are you with me? Acts 10, 38, look what it says. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him. You know what the word anoint means? It means to smear. When you put on sunscreen, you're anointing yourself. You're smearing it on. That's what it literally means. How God smeared on Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He put the Holy Spirit on him. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with what? With what? Everybody say it. One more time. You know what the word power is? It's the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite. It literally means power. It means explosive power. And out of the Vines Dictionary, it literally says power for working miracles. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with dunamis, with power. And look what it says here. We're talking about the very nature and character of Christ. He went about doing good and what? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Let me just ask you a question. If this was the very nature of Jesus... And this is what he did. This is his job description. Should we not be doing the same thing? 
See, Jesus died for you. Turn to your neighbor say he's talking about you. Jesus died for you and he gave his life to you. Correct? So that he could live his life through you. Are you getting this? And so if this was the job description of Jesus, if this is what he did, then should we not be doing the same? Follow the logic train. If that's true, then we are going to need more faith and more power to do what he's called us to do. And it might mean that we have to think a little bit bigger than just paying our bills today. It might mean that to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it might mean dealing with a little more than our current relationship situation. It might mean more than what is right in front of us. Amen. And so Jesus himself, this is his job description, and this is what we are called to. Again, we're talking about an inconvenient faith. Here's another clue into, into the job description of Jesus out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Now, the writer here is talking about walking and, and walking literally in obedience to, to the things of God and the word of God. He says this, the one who practices sin is of the devil. The word practice means continue in. In other words, it's an ongoing habit. And he even says this in another scripture in the same passage, that if you do that, then you're not of God at all. See, it always gets quiet when we talk about this, because did you know that the gospel actually has to do with behavior? It actually impacts the way you live your life. Now, in contemporary church today, it's real cool to just kind of live like you want and just throw it into the big gray area between black and white. And in my lifetime, I've watched the gray area in life get bigger and bigger and bigger in the church in America. But my Bible says my God is holy. You know what the word holy means? Set apart. So look what it says. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Someone ought to just say, ouch. I mean, that's strong. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now look what he says. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus appear? Why is he here? He heals all those who are oppressed of the devil and to destroy the works of the devil. Let me tell you what it's going to take to walk this out. It's going to take faith. It's going to take you engaging faith at a level that's higher than anything you've ever engaged before. Jesus' job description is your job description. Jesus' mandate is your mandate. Jesus' commission is our commission. Can I get an amen? It'll take faith to exhibit and demonstrate the nature and character of Jesus in our daily life. Hebrews eleven six. Let's talk a little bit about faith. Look what scripture says. And without faith, it is what? It's what? It's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I love the fact that God rewards those who passionately pursue him. Are you a God chaser? I remember Tommy Tenney came out with this book years ago called The God Chasers. Anybody remember that one? 
I remember reading that book and being electrified by what I read in that book. And it, it just stirred something in me that I wanted to seek after him and understand that God rewards those who passionately pursue him. But look what it says in the first sentence there. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, we can't even come to God without faith. Now, the Bible does tell us this, that we are given a measure of faith. Someone say a measure. We're given a measure. We're given that, that that's a, as a gift. But there's also a gift of faith that's even bigger than this. And we'll look at that in just a minute. It's impossible to please God without faith. And we understand in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The word of God or the message of Christ is what that literally means. And so as we hear about Jesus and as, as the word is taught and as it is preached, as we hear this message, as, as worship goes up and we hear the message of Jesus in worship, faith comes. Faith gets stirred in our hearts. Now, I, I remember hearing Ron Lewis talk about this. He made this comment. He said, he said if there was anything I could go back and do from the very beginning as a young minister, he said, I would teach more faith. I would teach more faith for without it, we can't even please God. And without faith, we can't see mountains move. We cannot see change happen. I don't know about you, but I'm at a place in my life. I'm 49 years old. And I the last thing I want in my life is to see my life diminish in power over the next few years. I'm, I'm kind of like I'm kind of like blind Bartimaeus who was sitting on the side of the road and he heard that Jesus was coming. He heard the crowds. He heard the buzz. He heard people talking and he started crying out, son of David, son of David, come over here. I mean, he just started crying out completely undignified, completely out of his mind. And even the disciples are like, shut up. Shut up. You're embarrassing us. You know, it's awkward when someone screams out in church, isn't it? Sammy, give me a shout, champion. It's just awkward. I mean, it just sends a it just it just does something in the atmosphere. We wonder if it's is this appropriate? Is it OK to shout? Come on, Sammy, one more time. Something happens when we shout. Something happens when faith is released. It cracks something open. I was telling that story at first about us dancing under the banner. You know what that did? It stretched me to do something very uncomfortable and very awkward. But you know what happened? Once that was cracked open, I didn't step back. Once that was open, it was completely open. Once I stepped into that, it broke something loose. I was with my son, Chris, who's now a senior pastor down at Houston, which we need to continue to lift up City Life Church. And they're doing great, by the way. In fact, they've tripled in attendance since Chris and Casey moved down there. God's blessing that. Amen. Yeah, I'm excited. But more than just the attendance, I mean, God's moving. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing it and it's exciting. Well, Chris was in Bible school down at Texas Bible Institute. And Texas Bible Institute is radical. I mean, these guys are like scary radical. I mean, they do stuff like pray over each other and believe that God will do something. They, they actually praise and worship God with dancing and clapping and shouting. 
Isn't that weird? They're so undignified. Well, I went to a conference down there, and me and Chris were together, and he was a student there, but I was hanging out with him. And I remember they had this, the worship team was just off the, off, the, off the hook. They were amazing. They were excited. And I remember them just going after God. And I remember the, the guy leading worship, he said, if you're ever going to go somewhere in God you've never been before, you're going to have to do something you've never been before. And I was like, I mean, immediately I felt uncomfortable just like you do right now. I felt this tension there. He said, if you're going to go places in God you've never been before, you're going to have to do some things you've never done before. And they were jumping up and down. They were singing that song, You Have Turned My Morning Into Gladness. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that song. That one the youth love. See, because they're fearless. And I remember everybody, and then they'd get to that, you have turned my morning into dancing, and they'd all turn. They'd just, and I just stood there like just ugh, awkward, uncomfortable. And I remember that guy saying, look, if you're going to go places in God you've never been, you're going to have to do some things you've never done. And so the next time they got to the turn part, I went. You now I broke out in a sweat. It was so awkward for me. I mean, it's like, oh. And the Lord began to deal with my flesh. There's a reason the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that's within me. There's a reason why in the Psalms it says, clap, shout, dance. I, tell you, I love black church. I guess you got to say. Thursday night, I got to go to Big Spring, and I was asked to speak at a revival. And honestly, in my mind, I was excited. I'd been praying about it. I'd talked to the pastor about it. And uh, I didn't know. I thought there'd be about 30 people, you know, excited for Jesus there. I show up. The place was jam-packed, standing room only. I don't know. Cassandra, what does that sanctuary seat, you think? I have no idea. 200? Uh, yeah, so it was packed. I, I, could, I don't know. It was full. And it was hot in there. Yeah. I'm like, black church doesn't have air conditioning. And I, they treated me like a rock star. I had secret service guys with those little curly Q things. Walking me around, they were carrying everything I had. I could get used to that, folks. They were carrying everything. and man, I mean, literally like a rock star. I was starting to feel pretty good, you know. I kept messing them up because I kept stopping and talking to people. I'm a pastor. I'm not a rock star. I just and so anyway. Let me, let me tell you, I, there was such a passion in that place. There was such an atmosphere of faith and expectation. Now this is on a Thursday night at a revival. You know what I thought? Why not Sunday morning at Grace Point Church? Why do we have to set aside a special service to get excited for God? But then on Sunday morning, we treat what we do here as like business as usual. Just saying. We come in here, we're tired, and the weather's kind of weird, so it sort of puts a damper on everything. And we're so relegated to our flesh right here in this moment right now. You know what's going to have to happen tonight, today, right now? 
is if you're going to go to a new place in God this morning, now you can leave just like you came in and go, well, that was okay. He's kind of excited. That's all right. Yeah, that's cool. I like that screen stuff. It's cool. I mean, literally, you can go and not even be changed. Or, or you can die to your flesh and go, you know what? I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of not seeing any breakthrough in my life. I'm tired of just being bored in church. I'm tired of just status quo. I'm tired of hurting in my body when the Bible says I don't have to, that God can actually do something about it. We prayed for Tony this morning, might have cracked or fractured a rib, and and uh, we prayed for him. Me and Jack and Terry took him back in the prayer room. I said, man, let's pray, let's deal with this. And we prayed, and then, I, and then, then we got done. I said, now do something you couldn't do before. What? Yeah, stretch, breathe. What, what was hurting? How did it feel? He goes, feels better. I said, well, better is not good enough. So let's pray again. So pray it again. Now do it again. He goes, it feels good. It feels better. Listen, good's not good enough. What would you expect? Would we dare to believe here in Abilene, Texas, that God might want to show up in an unusual way and take us to a whole new place? Or do you want to keep doing it like we've always done it? And I'm challenging every person in this room. I'm challenging your intellect. I'm challenging your spirit. I'm challenging you, your status quo. Do you want to just stay where you are? Do you want to go to a new place in God? I'm just challenging you. I'm throwing a gauntlet down. Do you just want the same old, same old? If you do, then don't do anything. But if you're dissatisfied with a holy dissatisfaction, I'm not talking about just 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 your flesh. I'm talking about a holy dissatisfaction that when you read the Bible and you see what's happening in America and the church today, you go, that's not the same. What I read in the Bible is not happening in life. Should it not be congruent? Should we not see the movement of God, the activity of God in daily life? I'm just saying. Well, we have to move to a new place in faith. And it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes God will show up in Shazam and it's really fun. And then sometimes you just have to walk the talk every day of your life. And you have to get on the road and you have to travel the journey. And every day you grow a little bit more and a little bit more. You get a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger. And I happen to believe it's both and. that God can show up and bring a gift of faith. But there's also a ring to hold on, a stability, where you hold on to both rings, power and form, truth and spirit. And they both work together. I'll tell you, I'm not satisfied. I'm not. I'm not grandstanding either. I'm just not. I want more. And I know there is a price to be paid. I feel like I'm paying it right now. There's a price to be paid. I want more. There's a price to be paid to walk in the kind of faith 
that exhibits and demonstrates the nature and character of Jesus. The church has been real caught up in the ministry of the Holy Spirit over the last 30-plus years. What we need to get caught up in is the ministry of Jesus. And when I see what Jesus did on an ongoing basis, I'm going, wow. We are falling short. That's not an indictment. I'm just It's just an observation of not beating ourselves up or condemning ourselves, but saying if we are falling short, then what do we need to do to get back to ground zero? You know what I'd be excited about is getting to the place of Nazareth. You know what happened at Nazareth? Remember, Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. It says that he could only do a few miracles there. Right now, I'd be excited about some Nazareth, Nazareth faith. Much less moving on into other things of God. Amen? So what's required? This is, this is where it gets tough, or if it isn't already. Hebrews twelve fourteen. I want you to see what, what this requires. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You know what the word sanctification means? Holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So why are we not seeing God move in a greater measure, in a greater degree? Could it be, could it be that we're not walking at the level of holiness and purity that we should be? I'm throwing that out there as a consideration. Look at Matthew 5, 8. Let's see if it says anything about this. Blessed are the pure in heart. Someone say pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what? They shall see God. I want to see God. That means I've got a responsibility to be pure before him. And I'll never forget the old poem that was handed to me by a church member years ago. And it's in the title of it was others may you cannot. And Annette and I have been on a journey to crucify, <laughs> crucify our flesh over the last six months of going others may we cannot if we want this. So the question is, how bad do you want to see God? How much do you really want to see him working in and through your life? Not just making you a better person, but making you a powerful person. To make you someone that carries the anointing and power of God at Walmart in aisle 14. In the classroom. At the gas station. In your job place. How much do you want it? Others may. You cannot. And then the last thing. 1 John 3. 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies. Someone say purifies purifies himself just as he is pure. I want to have the worship team.